FBI-related news in the sport was announced earlier today. And if you listened to last week's podcast, you should have known it was coming because it's is exactly what I told you was coming. I said last week when I asked that uh, the next thing to happen would be schools announcing they are holding players out who might have eligibility concerns. And I mentioned Auburn, Arizona, and USC specifically because uh, there are allegations in the federal complaint that all three of those schools had players accepting impermissible benefits from assistant coaches who are now facing federal charges and thus federal prison. So that's what I predicted last week. And this morning, Auburn announced it's holding Austin Wiley and Danielle Purefoy out of games indefinitely. And you don't have to be an FBI official to connect the dots here. Auburn associate head coach Chuck Person Uh, is alleged to have given a total of $18,500 to the families of those players. That is obviously against NCAA rules. So rather than play them, win games with them, and then have to vacate those games once they're ruled retroactively ineligible, Auburn has decided to just hold them out of games. And now it's unclear, frankly, if either will ever be allowed to play for Bruce Pearl's Tigers again. Matt Norlander, your thoughts. Good afternoon, GP. My thoughts are this happened uh, perhaps a little early. I did not, full transparency, I did not think this was coming today. Well, they got an exhibition tonight, and so I imagine they just wanted to get it out of the way. Yeah, certainly. That had to be that had to be the reason. Now, Wiley, by the way, a couple things on Wiley. One, he has been injured as of late. Uh, so Auburn could, I guess, you know, credit to Auburn. They are fairly transparent in their very brief uh, statement that they, they put out on Thursday morning. Uh, but Wiley had been injured, and they could have, hid behind that if they wanted to for a little while longer, but they don't. Um, and Wiley, so as we are recording this podcast, it is not yet published, but it will be perhaps in the midst of us recording this or soon thereafter. We have our top 101 players list that we publish every preseason. That's going to go live today. Wiley was in our top 50, but frankly, there's no way that if what the FBI alleges is true is true that he will play college basketball. So we took him off the list because if it's reached this point where Auburn is going to remove him uh, from eligibility indefinitely, uh, my suspicion is there's no coming back from that. That would be my, my stance right now, GP. So we took him off our list, and I bring that up to say Auburn, and Purifoy, by the way, is definitely a top four player on that team, maybe even a top three player, certainly a very valuable shooter. Um, if you want to hit the – we'll get to the other programs in just a second, but if we're just talking Auburn – uh, purely here, losing these players eliminates, in my opinion, any realistic hopes of Auburn making the NCAA tournament. I had them as a fringe tournament team to begin with and not even getting there at a full roster. Now you take these guys off. Wiley is a top three, top four big man in the SEC. Bruce Pearl is now going to have a situation that's going to be pretty interesting over the next four, five, six months here because uh, barring unforeseen circumstances in which this team is way better than expected, uh, they're not going to get to the tournament. So then Pearl's job situation becomes more interesting because he's dealing with a hampered roster, but he's dealing with a hampered roster because of an assistant coach he had on staff. He has his own past uh, and you know show cause that came from lying to the NCAA when he was at Tennessee over an issue that, frankly, uh, pales in great comparison to what we're dealing with here. I do wonder uh, the overall job security as it relates to Pearl amid this FBI probe and then on-court performance to come should be pretty interesting to see what he says, when he says it, how the team performs, 
Uh, Auburn is uh, something of a mystery now. They still have Mustafa Heron. They've got some solid pieces, but not having Wiley is an absolutely devastating blow. I do, I'm still on the same page with you when we talked about this last week. You know, Arizona and USC, we keep an eye out for them. Oklahoma State was tied to this as well. Um, is there anyone on that roster still that might be connected in some way or another? We, it remains to be seen. Uh, certainly there is scuttlebutt in the business about uh, former Oklahoma State players that could have been caught in the crosshairs previously or no longer on the roster. Will that not affect any sort of eligibility with the Cowboys at this point in time? We already know that Louisville has taken proactive steps and has not allowed Brian Bowen to compete in any sort of athletic activity. He hasn't even been practicing with the team, so they are uh, they're trying to get ahead of that as best as they can as well. So now we sit and wait with USC and Arizona, what players are going to be involved there. And then I'll leave it with this, GP, because I was actually talking with, uh, with a Pac-12 coach in the past few days about this. If, for whatever reason... We get to the start of the regular season, and Arizona and USC both or either do not have any players that are indefinitely suspended. It's going to be a terrible look. Even if those schools want to say that they've done their internal reviews and they put out any sort of press release between now and then, or who knows, maybe they don't. It's going to be awful for them and for college basketball, for the Pac-12, if you have these FBI federal complaints out there. You have other schools that have been proactive in suspending players, and if USC and Arizona, from a from a removed perspective, when people are looking on the outside in, just chancing it, I think that's a bad look. As bad as it will look when you have those announcements come, if you have a player or two that ends up being indefinitely sat, it's going to be even worse if you are just staving this off and, and almost chancing a little bit. And then inevitably, as your season is unfolding, and both those are we rank them as top 10 preseason teams, then how are you going to deal if, if more news gets uncovered, someone else flips, or you decide to make this announcement you know, in the middle of December, from an NCAA perspective, is that going to hurt you even more down the road than doing what Auburn and Louisville have done? It's not even going to be a bad look. It will be reckless and irresponsible and insane because uh, the FBI believes that there are players, and they have reason to believe, uh, thanks to wiretaps and, and um, you know, videos and whatever, um, that players who are current student-athletes at Auburn, USC, and Arizona, at the very least, accepted impermissible benefits from assistant coaches who were on staff and who are now facing federal prison. Uh, those players have not been identified at Arizona and USC. They obviously have now been identified at Auburn. But the FBI knows who they are. And I would assume that at this point, Auburn and USC knows who they are. And so you just can't. I mean, you can't trot them out there. I mean, you can announce it today. You can announce it tomorrow. You can announce it five minutes before tip-off of your first game. It, it doesn't matter when you announce it. Or I guess you don't necessarily have to announce anything. You could just, like, not play a person um, and just and just call it a, a, a university decision, and we would all be able to see, see it for what it is. But the, the, I guess I should never say never, and that's why – you know, you said there's no way that these players ever play again. I, I, I think you're right. I just never say never. Who knows? Never say never. Right. right. But right. Like as as we as we understand the case and the details now, right now, Parrish. Yeah. There's I, really I no it. justification from an NCAA perspective that that Wiley and Purifoy would I, be out. I, I agree with you. I just like I said. So I guess what I what I'm trying to say is never say never. But I will be shocked if Arizona opens its regular season with its full roster, 
And I'll be shocked if USC opens the regular season with its full roster. Because if you have this you know, cloud of suspicion hanging over your program. And it's not even just a cloud of suspicion. Like there's whispers about, you know, I think maybe somebody on that campus was taking care of somebody on that campus. Like it's alleged in a federal complaint and the men who are um, allegedly responsible for it are going to be, um, you know, either cooperating with federal authorities soon, or they already are, or they'll be, you know, going to trial at some point where all of this stuff is going to come out. And just about the dumbest thing you could do at USC and Arizona um, is, is play these players while this is hanging above you and then have it all come out in court or in documents at some point, at which point the NCAA rules those players retroactively ineligible and then you have to vacate every game that those players participated in. Like, why would you do that? Trust me, Auburn and Bruce Pearl have no interest in trying to play this season without Purefoy and Wiley. Those are two of the top four scorers from last season. And Bruce is like kind of up against it for a couple of different reasons. A, he had somebody on staff allegedly paying players. Like, you know, like after you have his NCAA passed at Tennessee, uh, whether you think that was um, ridiculous or or a deserved penalty is almost irrelevant. He's a, he's a coach who was fired because of NCAA violations on his watch and was given a three-year show calls because of it. Auburn hired him while the show calls was still in effect. And now his program has had to suspe- uh, hold out two players indefinitely because his associate head coach, a man he brought to that campus, uh, accepted more than $90,000 in bribes and provided approximately eighteen dollars to $19,000 to the p- parents of two different players. Like, that puts you in a bad spot if you're Bruce Pearl. And then he's also losing. I, I, like, I'm shocked by this. I didn't think Bruce Pearl could turn around Tennessee more quickly than he could turn around Auburn. Although, I will say, when I went to visit Bruce not long after he got the job at Auburn, he... He told me that this would be more difficult than what he did at Tennessee because it was a more difficult job than the Tennessee job. Like, he he knew that up front in a way that maybe I didn't anticipate. I just thought you take Bruce Pearl, put him in a Power 5 school, give him unlimited resources and an unbelievable facility. Um, literally unlimited resources. Yeah, I mean, literally unlimited resources. And, like, he'll knock it out of the park. And recruiting has gone well. But 15-20 and 20 in year one, 11-20 and 20 in year two, 18-14 and 14 last year. He's never finished higher than 11th in the SEC since getting to Auburn. And now heading into year four, he his team was picked ninth in the SEC with Wiley and Purifoy. Mm-hmm. So, like, what are they going to be without them? And so what we're talking about here is a guy who's probably going to miss the NCAA tournament for four consecutive seasons, and that's if he can survive another NCAA slash FBI scandal. So, listen, Bruce wants his best players. He needs to win, but... You can't play them under these circumstances, and I don't believe Arizona is going to be able to play its full roster under these circumstances. USC is going to be able to play its full roster under these circumstances. And you know, there are other schools out there, too, who are doing internal reviews of their program. Yes. I, I'm not convinced that there won't be another school that at this moment is kind of off of the, the public FBI radar, but says, hey, we, you know, we got a subpoena. And we looked into some things, and now we're ruling, we're holding this player out because of an ongoing investigation. We'll have no further comment until it's resolved. Like, I think it'll happen at Arizona and USC, and I'm not convinced it won't happen other places as well. We're going to have a few of these announcements between now and next Friday, I would assume. 
Certainly, and uh, wouldn't surprise me whatsoever if we get to Friday, and then there's a number of teams that have their first game on Saturday or Sunday of that opening weekend next weekend. Uh, if we did not even get a press release, and then uh, just scroll through the box score, see who did not actually play, uh, perhaps after the game, uh, those coaches will have to address that with their local media. If we do have those instances where schools opt not to get out ahead of it, I would suggest you all get out ahead of it uh, as opposed to just kind of just going in going in uh, blind, so to speak, there. Uh, real quick on Pearl. Yeah, the SEC is supposed to be... Now, listen, this is the year three or four consecutively. You and I have both written columns on this over the years. We've been waiting for this jump for the SEC. The SEC should make this jump this season, and if it doesn't, well, you know what? That's a conversation for you and I to have in December or January on this podcast, but uh, if things go as expected in that league, this makes it even worse for Pearl because, yes, he was picked ninth in a league that's supposed to be even better than normal that should have, in my opinion, at least six NCAA tournament teams in the union there. So it'll be very intriguing to see how that team is able to respond. And and I do want to note, uh, before we move on from this, um, Arizona did play an exhibition game on Wednesday, mm-hmm. and I believe all players that are healthy were eligible to play in that. What I am uh, unclear on here is I guess the defense for Arizona might be that the reviews are still ongoing. They're not going to make any sort of move before they absolutely have to. Uh, but there certainly is a distinguishable difference between playing ex- an exhibition uh, you know, against Desert State versus actually your first actual game of the regular season. So, um, you know, yeah. there are... You know, so so we'll just wait and see, as as opposed to Auburn doing this in advance let, of an let, let, let me stop you for one second. Also, um, and I don't think this is a thought unique to me, um, the player in question at Arizona could be Raleigh Hawkins, who's hurt anyway. True. Yeah, right? no, no. I mean, like, that, you, you put it all together, where's Book Richardson from? New York. Uh, yeah. Where's Raleigh Hawkins from? Sure. Brooklyn, right? I mean, it would. I, I don't know that, but... Here's what here's what I here's what I would say. First off, you can play anybody in an exhibition. It does not matter. Like you don't have to vacate an exhibition. So it's just an exhibition. So that they played all healthy players in the ex- ex- exhibition doesn't mean that they're going to be able to play all healthy players um, on you know for game one of the regular season. But if they do, if every Arizona player who is healthy plays in the season opener. I would that would make me assume Raleigh Hawkins is the guy that is in the federal complaint, and he's out. You know, eight, how long? He's out for a little while. Yeah, he's he's not going to be playing the first few weeks of the season. Yeah, he's so. got a fractured foot, and I guess it was into September he was expected to be out twelve weeks, so he wouldn't be available to open the season no matter what. That's what I'll say. I don't know that it's Raleigh Hawkins. I want to be very clear about that. But if every healthy Arizona player plays in the season opener, I will assume that Raleigh Hawkins is the player who accepted or the player who is in the federal complaint um, as the Arizona player who has accepted impermissible benefits. I think that's totally reasonable and illogical and practical. And I, would, uh, and I would say if I were Arizona, I wouldn't I wouldn't just let him be hurt and, and 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 insist the only reason he's playing, not playing, is because he's hurt. If he is the player at the center of this, um, I think they would be wise to not, not not be nearly as secretive as they were with Alonzo Trier's situation last year, last season, and just announce it. Be be straightforward the way Auburn was straightforward this morning. Call it what it is. Explain why he's going to be held out uh, because. Uh, you know, it, it's 
it's the least of their problems at this point. I mean, they've got, I agree. Yeah. I, yeah. I do want to add one more piece of context with all of this here because and I know most of our listeners are aware of this, but it's it, amid all this, it's not the coaches that are really making these decisions. Obviously it's no. the compliance people in the athletic department, the athletic director among others. And so those people would would really uh, be doing their coaches a favor uh, getting out ahead of this because it is a terrible look and Enfield and Miller take 95% of the brunt of it if you don't and then we get more news in mid-November, end of November, mid-December, whenever, um, right or wrong, what happens is if, if you dodge or try to dodge this and then we have more information or eventually that decision gets made, well, then it looks like Enfield and Miller, the ones that were calling the shots, give me my players, make sure that they're eligible, we'll deal with the, the consequences down the road, when in fact that might not be the case. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So it, it, it is beneficial to programs all around when you're already caught in these crosshairs to just get this stuff out there because you're going to be putting your coaches in an even worse position if you don't do that. And by the way, if that were to happen, uh, it, it, to me it does nothing to help the job security of Enfield and Miller. Um, and, you, you know, you're exactly right. The head coaches aren't – they got no control over this anymore. Like, this is a big, big issue. And if you're a university president or chancellor, you'd be a maniac to let head coaches have any say whatsoever in what's happening with these players who are in question. Um, I'm certain the Auburn decision happened well above Bruce Pearl's head. And the decisions that come down at, at Arizona, USC, and anywhere else – uh, those are going to be handled above the head coach's head as well and probably ahead above the head of the athletic director uh, too. And, uh, you know, just to wrap this up, put a bow on it, I, you know, I guess I was asked within the past couple of weeks on some radio show somewhere, like, is this going to be a story all year long? Is this going to overshadow the season? And I don't think there's any question. It's going to overshadow the season. It is going to be, it's just going to be there. At all times, like the games will be the games and the games will be fun. And Michael Porter is going to go for 35 at some point, And that's going to be awesome. And Marvin Bagley's going to, you know, get a 15 and 15 game. And that's going to be fun. But like every day when you wake up uh, during this college basketball season is a day where um, another subpoena could be delivered. Another arrest could be made. Another player could be pulled out. I don't think this story is going away. It's going to be a part of the college basketball season and probably the biggest part of the college basketball season. I agree. It's something that uh, every day we just don't know what might happen. Just and today, Thursday, is an example. So um, since we last spoke, uh, the NCAA has made some, at least in my opinion, questionable decisions, in, or, or NCAA committees, I should say, have made some questionable decisions as it relates to uh, the eligibility of of three different players and I've written about all three, but in case somebody has missed it, um, I felt like it was worth talking about here. One of them is Oakland's Jalen Hayes. Another is Colorado's Evan Batty. And another is NC state's uh, Braxton Beverly. And I want to start with Hayes and, and Batty because those came first. So uh, at, at there is a rule uh, NCAA rule that you have to pass a certain number of college hours in the fall semester and in the spring semester. So between the time the fall semester starts and the spring semester ends, you have to pass a certain amount of, of hours to, to prove to the NCAA that you are progressing well um, towards your degree. 
And so Jalen Hayes, who, by the way, is a senior at Oakland and a very good player, he's on pace right now to graduate in December. Like, he's going to graduate in a couple of months. In other words, he will be a college graduate when he starts conference games in January. So by any normal measuring stick, he is advancing well toward his degree, making progress toward his degree. Um, But he took a class at Oakland, and he got a 2.5 in it in the spring semester. And according to Oakland's own academic standards, you do not get credit for anything in his major less than that's less than a 2.8. So he passed the class by a different standard, but by Oakland standard in this specific major, he didn't get credit for it. And that credit, that lack of credit dropped him below the number of hours the NCAA requires you to pass in the fall and the spring to prove that you're making good progress toward your degree. And so he's been ruled uh, in L- He was ruled ineligible for the first semester. And even though, again, He's going to graduate in December. So Oakland appeals and just says, hey, listen, we understand the rule's the rule, and it's been triggered by this rule. But, I mean, look at this kid. He's got a good GPA. He's graduating in December. Uh, Why should he be held accountable for not, quote, progressing toward his degree when he's actually progressing toward his degree just fine? In fact, he's going to graduate in December. And, um, and, and, And also be punished for, A, majoring in like a real major and and B doing at a school that holds even its student athletes to an unusual standard, basically saying, no, passing with a 2.5 isn't good enough. You need a 2.8. Like, really? That's the kid you want to punish? And the NCAA reduced the suspension to four games, but he's still going to miss four games, which to me, like if you want to uphold the rule by the letter of the law, that even makes more sense to me than lowering it but still punishing him for four games. Because what you're acknowledging there is, okay, we understand that he was triggered by the letter of the law, but um, clearly he's progressing toward his degree. He's going to graduate in December. This is crazy. Uh, but we're still going to suspend him four games. Like, why are you punishing him at all? Either punishing, punish him by the letter of the law or don't punish him at all. And obviously, don't punish him at all is what I think should happen. And yet he's punished for four games. Make any sense to you? It uh, it doesn't. Um, it can get exhausting with these uh, issues with the NCAA. Um, obviously, we've touched on it on a number of recent podcasts here. Uh, it doesn't make sense to me. The NCAA really it can't do anything in the here and now. It, it's gotta have serious serious conversations about matters of eligibility when it comes to academics and allowing schools. Particularly, I mean, this is lacking serious, serious widespread thought as to the situation at hand. What what the problem is here is that the NCAA, which gets which at the same time gets scared of precedent, but also frequently references uh, how every case can be different in matters of eligibility, academic or transfer wise or otherwise. Um, it's got to really just reexamine what the hell it's doing here. We've talked about how it should get out of the academic stuff altogether. Uh, clearly, it's not going to... It should, but it's not going to do that. Not in the, not in the short term. It's not going to. Um, so in absence of that, it has to allow for more nimble evaluation of these things. And here... So Hayes is going to just... He's not going to... They reduced it. He's not going to eliminate the suspension. It's just not going to happen. Uh, particularly because Oakland uh, successfully and rightfully, by the way... Um, levied an appeal that got Isaiah Brock, 
who you wrote about last year, uh, who you know served in the armed forces and is like a 27 year old sophomore uh, returning. He uh, he's actually he, not returning. Do you know that? No, he is. He is. He's returning. I, I checked that this week. Oh, I thought he, he wasn't. Was, yeah, he was not, and now he is. Okay. He is. I was. Yeah. Well, good. He is. Yeah, which is awesome. Which is a great. Which is a great deal here. So. He, because uh, that would have really sucked if he wrote this thing and he played one year and then didn't come back. <laughs> I know. I just text him and be like, "Yo, man, I, I spent nine hundred words on you getting you eligible." Yeah. Uh, so yeah, he. Uh, I think he debated it, yes or no. But uh, Campy told me that he is bet. No, he's on the roster. He's okay, he's set to play a sophomore season. Um, but here's what I want from the NCAA: you have to afford Oakland the selection committee. You have to afford this team the same benefit of the doubt as you would. If Duke did not have Grayson Allen for four games, because it's the same exact thing. Jalen Hayes is a top three player on this roster. Oakland, in my estimation, is the very best team from a single bid conference. And they're not going to have Hayes to start in critical in critical non-conference play, including, you know, road games against Toledo and Syracuse. I guess I guess he'll be back after that. But those are for a, for a team like Oakland, even Syracuse in a down year. I think Oakland's better than Syracuse this season. You bring up Ken Palm right now. Ken Palm projects Cuse to be better than Oakland, which obviously is, is rational and reasonable. But the point is, if this Oakland team winds up having a pretty good season, but they lose seven games, they lose in their championship game in the Horizon League, well, you know what? If it's that close, you better have some self-awareness here and give this team the benefit of the doubt and give them that large bid because it'll be an absolute crock if this Jalen Hayes guy does not play four games Oakland suffers because of it, takes on one or two losses in the non-conference that's held against them, and then they don't get a bid. So I understand that the NCAA's eligibility center and the NCAA selection committee, even though they're under the same massive umbrella, really they're on opposite sides of the building, so to speak. Let's have some general awareness of how one, how you know, one arm of the robot operated like this way, and the other arm better be aware of that and give this team the benefit of the doubt because hey, should not, they shouldn't even be in this position to begin with. They shouldn't be put at this disadvantage, but because the rules are the rules and the eligibility center wasn't going to go against its own language, now Hayes is going to have to sit. Uh, I just keep an eye on that. If Oakland doesn't get the automatic bid, we'll have to circle back to this come mid-March. Um, Greg Campy told me that Oakland even uh, suggested to the NCAA, like, listen, this is insane. He is going to graduate in the middle of his senior season of basketball, and you are punishing him because he, quote, isn't progressing toward his degree. That's bananas, but here's the deal. How about this? Let him play, and if he doesn't actually graduate in December, then you can punish him for not progressing toward his degree, and he'll miss the first four league games, which for our purposes are more important to us because we're in a one-bit yep. league, and the NCAA said no. And really, listen, I understand the letter of the law. I got you. That's why I'm not offended by the initial ruling. But there's a waiver process for a reason, and they have the power to give that waiver to anybody for any reason that they find justifiable. And how could you not find this one justifiable? Like, it's just, uh, I've said it a bazillion times. What sucks is that I have to keep saying it because you would think the people on these committees would get it by now. Apply waivers with common sense and decency. Just ask yourself, does it make any sense and is it decent to punish this young man under these circumstances. And with Jalen Hayes, I don't see how any decent person could reach the conclusion of, yes, he deserves to be punished because he didn't get credit for a course, even though he passed the course and it dropped him below a certain number that we say 
proves that you're progressing toward his degree. So we don't think he's progressing toward his degree, even though he's literally going to graduate in December. There's just no way you would rule that with common sense and decency. And yet somehow the NCAA did. And then there's Colorado's Evan Batty, whose story might even be more ridiculous. So three-star recruit signs with Colorado, you know, gets a good enough standardized test score, gets a good enough uh, a GPA in his core classes. He is fully qualified by any normal measuring stick. Uh, Tad Boyle has described him as the most ready freshman he's ever had athletically and academically. Now, I don't know if that's true. Uh, but it is what he said. But even if it's not, he qualifies in like the top ten, which even still says something. He like qu- even if it's not, you know. Okay, he's ruled ineligible for the entire freshman season, and the reason is that the NCAA says that you cannot compete as a freshman if you do not complete high school in four years. And it took him five years to complete high school, not because he goofed around as a senior and skipped a bunch of classes and had to redo his twelfth grade year or his 11th grade year, or his 10th grade year. When he was, according to Tad, 13 years old, he had some family stuff going on. I, I don't know the, the specifics, but just, uh, you know, probably safe to assume uh, the young man didn't grow up the way my children are growing up right now, the way your son's growing up right now, you know, in a home with two college-educated parents and access to every advantage on the planet. Like, if my kids screw up at any point, like they've really blown an opportunity. They have two college-educated parents. Their mother is an educator. Um, they have a nice home, two parents who love them. They have access to literally anything they need to succeed. Like my kids, like if they screw up, like they've really messed up somewhere. Well, Evan Batty didn't grow up like them. And so he had some stuff going on when he was 13 years old, freshman in high school. And he had to re- redo his freshman year. And then at some point, something clicked. I don't know if his family situation got better, his home life got better, or he just grew up or whatever. But he was a model student, you know, as a 10th grader, 11th grader, 12th grader, got the standardized test score, got the GPA necessary, got accepted into Colorado, was good enough athletically to earn a full scholarship to play basketball in the Pac-12. And I understand letter of the law. Yes, it should trigger him ineligible. But the appeals process is there. And Colorado appealed it. And they denied the waiver. I mean, to me, that's just unforgivable to me. To punish somebody who probably doesn't come from the best place for something that happened literally five years ago, just unforgivable and inexcusable, indefensible, and shameful. Yeah. I think there are people inside that building in Indianapolis that wholeheartedly agree. There might even be people tied to the process that, that disagree with it. I can't speak to the total inner workings of what went on here uh, because they do deal with eligibility and academics like in the every player that has that is a division one two three player has to get cleared academically so they deal with these cases all the time but i don't know what else you want me to say like it's it's absolutely ridiculous and then you look at braxton beverly okay yeah and let's walk through that one as well okay but like hold on but yeah you walk through it but like we're gonna get to the point where the soonest the soonest possible way that this rule will get changed is in 2018. And then it's going to be like 2028. And we're going to be like, do you remember that it took until 2018 or 2019 for us to change this freaking dumb rule? Like there's no, there is zero reason for this rule to be in place because it, it lacks any acknowledgement of the reality of recruiting in college basketball. And that is that players more than any other factor, 
Okay, and there can be some fun, interesting factors. There's no doubt about it. We all pick colleges for different reasons. But if you're an athlete, you're picking where you're going to school because of the head coach. 95% of the time, 95% of the cases, that is the factor more than any other case. It, who is the head coach of the program? Go ahead. Um, so with Braxton Beverly, three-star recruit from Kentucky, gets recruited by Ohio State, commits to Ohio State last October, signs a letter of intent with them in November. If you go back and read the stories from like uh, the Cleveland Plain Dealer or any newspaper or website that covered his recruitment, uh, his quotes are all about Thad Mata. We're not talking about a kid from Ohio who grew up wanting to be a Buckeye. His quotes have nothing to do with he always dreamed of playing in the Big Ten. It's all about Thad Mata. I made a connection with Thad Mata. I really love Thad Mata. I can't wait to play for Coach Mata. So, obviously, Ohio State season didn't go so well last year. They finished 10th in the Big Ten, and there was some speculation that Thad might not return for a 14th season. A, because the program didn't seem to be headed in a great direction, and B, uh, because he was battling well-documented health uh, concerns. But on literally the last day of the season, of, of Ohio State season, which was the opening day of the Big Ten tournament, Gene Smith, the athletic director, announced publicly that Thad Mata was going to return as his as his basketball coach and actually extra, uh, expressed some frustration that people would even speculate that he might not. And so that's that, everybody thought. Because once an athletic director comes out and says, my coach is returning next season, that coach is always returning next season unless he A, retires, or B, there's some sort of scandal that that changes things, like the scandal that changed things at Louisville. There was no scandal at Ohio State, and Thad Mata did not decide to retire. But um, two months after the normal coaching carousel has usually come to a close, or is coming to a close, uh, I believe it was on June 5th, Ohio State announced that it was firing Thad Mata. And this happened to be roughly three weeks after Braxton Beverly had enrolled in a class. And so suddenly the coach he wanted to play for and the coach in March that he was told he would play for the coach who was supposed to be the coach on the day that he actually enrolled in this class. He's no longer there. So he doesn't want to be there. So he asked for his release and to Ohio State's credit. They didn't try to fight it, talk him out of it, resist it. Nothing. They said if, they didn't say, you know, hey, wait and see if you like Coach Holtman. They said, of course, we like this is all complicated and not what we planned and we know that you came here to play for Thad Mata. Thad Mata's not here anymore. It's not your fault. If we would have done this at the normal time in the calendar, you would have asked for your release then. We would have given it to you, and you would be free to go anywhere you wanted to go and play basketball. So, yeah, you want the release, you got the release. So he goes to NC State and enrolls. And, again, initially triggered ineligible because letter of the law. I got it. Because once he started that class at Ohio State, he was an Ohio State student. And you can't just transfer somewhere and play somewhere else in that same season according to the rule book but there's an appeals process and so nc state appealed and i'll be honest with you on this one i was less familiar with the other cases the jalen hayes case and the evan batty case but the braxton beverly case had gotten quite a bit of attention if only because nc state i think initially announced that he had been ruled ineligible on literally the same day that north carolina got away within with, an hour right uh, that north carolina got away with um more than a decade of academic fraud because of what amounts to a loophole in the rule book so i think college basketball fans were familiar with this case and 
I had been asked about it a couple of times, and my answer was like, of course he'll get the waiver. Like, you know, first off, it's like he should get the waiver for the same reasons Jalen Hayes shouldn't be punished and Evan Batty shouldn't be punished. But beyond that, the optics are just terrible. Like, you're really going to, because of a loophole in your rule book, allow North Carolina to get away with more than a decade of academic fraud and then punish a kid who actually, like, went to a real class because he was ambitious. Like, think about this. If Braxton Beverly was just a normal basketball player and especially a normal student, he doesn't even enroll until June or July or August. He was like trying to get a head start on his academic workload. So he enrolled in a class in May when most people are going like on graduation trips. He was like, no, I'm going to go ahead and be a, you know, get on campus and be a real student. If he'd have been a little less ambitious or if Ohio State would have fired Thad Mata at a normal point in the calendar, this is all, these are all moot points. He's not even in this situation. And so to recognize that, there's just no way the NCAA is actually going to deny his waiver. And yep, on Monday, they denied the waiver, which is just indefensible, shameful. I use all the same words. Like literally nobody would have objected to the NCAA granting this waiver. Ohio State helped with it. Thad Mata assisted with it. I got tweets from Duke fans pissed off at the NCAA. Like when you have Duke fans taking issue with an NCAA ruling against an NC State player, that's how bad your ruling is. And so I just don't understand it. Like, I, I, I understand the rule book, but I also understand that that waiver process is there for a reason. And the waiver should always be um, considered with common sense and decency. And if you apply common sense to the Braxton Beverly case and decency to the Braxton Beverly case, I cannot understand how you reach a point where you say that young man, because he enrolled in one class for a few weeks at Ohio State when he thought Thad Mata was going to be his coach, and then abruptly at a weird part in the calendar, they decide he's not going to be the coach. And so we're going to punish this young person for an entire year. How do you get, how do you reach that conclusion? Like, I don't mean to be overdramatic, but like, how do you look yourself in the mirror if you sign off on that? I know. I don't want to beat the dead horse here. Um, there just needs to be a rule in place, okay? <laughs> hey, I'm happy to stop talking about this when it stops happening. I know. Like, if you lose a coach before the start of the fall semester, you should just be – you should be able to transfer without having to sit a year. Well, I, That's I, all. Yeah, I, okay? I, I, if you lose your head coach at any – it doesn't matter. I don't care if you've taken summer classes, Okay. If, if before the far start of the fall semester, I think that is a fair cutoff because that is usually anywhere from August 20 to September 8. OK, depending on where you are and how the calendar works with per, the, perhaps the exception of, uh, of schools that work on quarters or trimesters. But generally speaking, that's it. All right. So if you are at an institution and you have en- and you have enrolled um, and you, in particular, you're a freshman. OK, Um and you have a, a Thad Mata situation, and you want to leave, and the school doesn't, particularly if the school doesn't object, and still they should not be getting involved, and, and it should not be messing up this process. Well, okay. Yeah. Now well, I had somebody talk, uh, say, "Well, you know, what kind of precedent would it set?" Man, get out of my face with precedent. Like, oh, here's the precedent it would set: if a young person graduates high school and then decides to enroll, especially early in college, and then his coach is subsequently fired abruptly and surprisingly two months after his coach's athletic director promised that he wouldn't be, yeah, we'll let that kid transfer without penalty. That's the precedent would set. That's the Braxton Beverly story. I'm okay with that precedent being set. 
Like, I'm completely fine with that. Like, who who does it hurt to let Braxton Beverly, a three-star recruit from Kentucky, leave Ohio State? I talked to somebody who used to work at the NCAA, and they said, well, what you have to understand is the NCAA has a lot of data. And, and, And among the reasons they have these transfer restrictions, they have a lot of data that suggests the student athlete is not better off transferring that there's a lot of information available that suggests it's not it's not their decision like it's not up to them to decide that's what i said i said hey we ain't got to save every kid in america you want to save every kid in america it ain't basketball players that need help with that like go to boys and girls club they you want to you want to really try to save kids go to boys and girls club leave the basketball players alone secondly that's not even what it means with braxton beverly when when that's the case what they mean is if you transfer from one school to another, you have to get adjusted to a new campus. You've got to be adju- get adjusted to new teammates. You've got, you might lose some of the hours that you have accumulated at one school because they don't transfer properly to the other school. Fine. I mean, I disagree with it because I'm anti-transfer restriction at all. But, like, I hear you. But tell me how any of that applies to Braxton Beverly. He was in school for three weeks. He's not losing any credits that he accumulated at Ohio State. He's not having to readjust to a different campus life. He was on campus at Ohio State for three weeks. So, like, I, I, I mean, this that's the one I think that surprised me more than the other two because it was more high profile than the other two. The optics are incredibly terrible given what the how the North Carolina case concluded. And, um, and literally nobody would have objected. Like nobody, like why do you t- like take a public relations hit again over something that nobody would have objected to? You wouldn't have got a single ACC coach or a single anybody, media member, anybody come out and say it is a shame that in- that that the NCAA has given a waiver to Braxton Beverly to play as a freshman. Nobody, nobody would have said that. So like, why? If you realize it will upset nobody, and it hurts nobody. Why not just grant the waiver? And I know it's a rhetorical question, but it's just, it drives me insane. Like, I, I don't know how you can form committees that have people on them who can't grasp this very simple concept of if we're really going to be representing an organization that loves to pretend it's put student athletes first, then let's actually put student athletes first. Let's look at this from a perspective of common sense and decency. And if we can't think of a good reason to punish this young person, let's not punish the young person. I got nothing to add to that, GP. <laughs> Duke is number one in the preseason AP poll for the ninth time in school history. Did they get it right, these AP voters, or should I pull attack them prematurely? No, they probably got it right. Although, let me just quickly um, toss out the devil's advocate argument here for Duke because, you know, I've got a thing going up on Kentucky. I think Friday, if not Friday, it'll go up Monday, just on Kentucky's roster and what they're going to do this season. And listen, Kentucky's got an interesting roster, but it's it's the youngest one Calipari has had. Well, guess what? This is also the most inexperienced roster that Mike Krzyzewski has ever, ever had. Right. And so while the talent is amazing and insane and Marvin Bagley is going to be so fun to watch and Grayson Allen has shown himself to be a top 10 level caliber player in college basketball previously, we have to allow for the possibility that this goes sideways on Duke because we do not know. Think about Grayson Allen and what he did last year. I mean, I hope that we can dodge any of that BS, but we don't know if we will. And if we don't, and if we have a game in the middle of December where Grayson either has an outburst or accidentally trips someone, who even the frick knows, okay? But we get that, or we have a Grayson Allen suspension, 
How's a team full of freshmen going to react? Marquise Bolden was supposed to be really good last year, and he was a massive disappointment. Is he going to make that jump as a sophomore? They have at their potential, at their ceiling, absolutely. Can be the best team in college basketball. That's why we've got them number one, because we think that with all that they have, those studs, I mean, from Grayson to Bagley to Wendell Carter to Trayvon Duvall, I think those four minimally are going to be first-round draft picks. So if they play to that level, yeah, they should be the number one team. But there definitely is the possibility that this is just a weird season. And they're good, but they're flawed. The pieces don't work right away. Um, Duvall isn't as good of a point guard as they're expecting or hoping. Uh, but they kind of keep him at point guard because Grayson works better off the ball anyway. And although he played point last year, it's really not where he thrives most. So I could see a situation where Duke is kind of hovering in around that number 20 spot in the polls, December, January, February. But having them number one in the preseason, I think, is fair. And a little bit of a teaser here. Our colleague Kyle Boone actually went and looked at every other time. I think it's been eight times that Duke has been a preseason number one team, how it's gone on to fare uh, in the regular season and the postseason in those years. Because Duke is obviously, and Krzyzewski are not... Uh, are not unknown to being in this position heading into the season, but with the questions surrounding Arizona, State, Arizona, with Michigan State being right about there, um, but not having as much overall talent as Duke, and with Kansas losing a player of the year, uh, among other important pieces, uh, I think having Duke is a reasonable uh, decision by the AP. I, I do too, um, but it is true that no team built like Duke has ever won a national championship, and no team built like Kentucky has ever won a national championship. And I think... I saw somebody tweet, maybe yesterday or two, yeah, I guess it was yesterday when the AP poll came out. Maybe it was Gasaway tweeted that in the one and done era, no team that's going to be this reliant on freshmen, or maybe the way he phrased it was this inexperienced, has ever even earned a number one seed in the NCAA tournament, much less won a national championship. So if we're asking Duke to live up to the preseason expectation, and the preseason expectation is win the whole thing. Um, we're asking them to do something that no team like them has ever done in the history of college basketball. So, uh, so good luck. Good luck. Uh, before we get out of here, uh, you wrote a column. It's posted right now, CBSSports.com, about Wichita State and the adjustment to the American Athletic Conference. Um, you make two points that um, – well, you make a lot of points, but two that stood out. You know, it's, it's obviously going to be something that helps Wichita State as a program, or at least presumably – going to be something that helps Wichita State as a program because, as Greg Marshall told you, like it already helps in recruiting. Like We can say we're in the American Athletic Conference. We can say we're a preseason top 10 team. We can say we're in a league with UConn and Cincinnati and Memphis and programs that have accomplished some of the programs, uh, some of the things those programs have accomplished. That's all good stuff. And also, it's great for the American. That's why when it was first being discussed, they were, you know, people would ask me, so should the American do it? Of course. Like First off, you don't have to take a bad football program um, to get a great basketball program because they don't have a Division One football program. So you don't hurt football in any way, which is really the – nobody cares about any other sport. And and you get an, an awesome, like, national brand in, in men's basketball. And it, it's also awesome for Wichita State as a university because I think it makes it more likely than not that Greg is going to stay there. I don't necessarily mean forever. I don't know. But, I mean, I, I, I could see him being the Louisville coach, you know, six months from now sure but and you you know greg well i i I know greg well and i don't want to speak for him but i think he was getting a little bored with going to you know uh missouri state and southern illinois and illinois state um 
no disrespect to those schools, but he had clearly built something unlike anything else in that league could possibly build. And you're playing off of the national radar for, for most of the season. Um, even, even when they were, you know, undefeated because most of their games aren't on, aren't on one of the ESPN channels, frankly. Uh, but now you're in a league with UConn. You're in a league with Memphis. You're in a league with Temple. You're in a league um, with Cincinnati. So you're yeah. going. So like instead of going to the cities you go to in the Missouri Valley Conference, you're going to Orlando. You're going to Memphis. You're going to Tampa. You're going to Cincinnati. You're going to Hartford. You're going to Philadelphia. I mean, like and going to Hartford isn't really something. To uh, I just threw it in there. I know. As you someone get, who lives in Connecticut, I'm just yeah. Just but, but you get my point. And then like. Almost all their games are going to be on ESPN, ESPN two, ESPN news, ESPN whatever. You like they're just it's it's more it's they're more visible now. They will be able to to record more quality wins now, and all of that I think uh, I, I think Greg's probably rejuvenated by that a little bit. Like okay, now let's you know for the first time in his career, and this is kind of crazy to think about because he's a Hall of Fame coach, but for the first time in his career, he's going to be in a league with real top-shelf basketball programs. And I think he's going to be fabulous, but it is it is new territory, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm anxious to, to watch it unfold. Yeah, uh, I don't want to spoil the whole story. Do, do give it a go and give it a read at cbssports.com, or if you got your CBS Sports app, it is as easy as ever to read our stuff there, and I find uh, myself reading many a GP column on my phone, in fact. Um, I do I do think that Wichita State going to the American – from a basketball perspective, we now have a major seven group of, uh, of conferences here. Um, the American was arguably right about there as is. Uh, the key thing here is not just that Wichita State joins in a year that it's supposed to be really, really good, but UConn's got to stay good. Memphis is going to be down this season, but it's got to get better. Temple's got to play to its historic levels. And Houston, I know it's been kind of all over the map over the past two decades, but it's going to be solid this year as long as teams five through nine in a given season are basically fighting to get into the NIT, then the Americans going to have every right to be there. Um, if you consider basically the same uh, percentage, like the top nine teams in the American were in the Kempom top 20, 120 last season. Well, the Pac-12 had the same percentage of teams in the top 120 and many well below that. So it, in, in certain ways, it's already there with some uh, some big time conferences and from a financial standpoint, from a recruiting standpoint, it absolutely is on that level when you look at the, the programs that are in that league and the, and the ability for multiple programs to recruit five-star players. And the American, just like the other six leagues, they all have at least one top 25 program slash and or job. Program and job is a, is a different distinction. We've touched that on the, on the podcast in years past. But obviously UConn uh, clearly falls into that distinction. Uh, and then you could you – could, you, I wrote last year, Cincinnati, historically, has an absolute case to be a top 20 all-time program. If you look how many wins it has, uh, the players it's produced, and its success through the years, despite the leagues that it's been in, um, there's a lot of good stuff that's happening there with the American. Uh, and yeah, I think it's just good for college basketball as well, because you have Wichita State now really getting pushed and i do think and i talked about this with marshall a little bit just there is a contingent of people out there that still root against gonzaga and you know you and i both know how we went we went like all in on this like last february and march in terms of the people that were trying to discount gonzaga overall um they, there's a similar thing with wichita state it's almost like these schools can't do enough to prove their worth as a, as a top 10 top 15 top 20 program 
Well, now those doubters are going to get to see what Wichita State can do in the American Athletic Conference. Their roster this season is really, really good. I'll wrap with this. Um, uh, two things. One, check out the quote. I tweeted it, but read the read the story that Marshall, dude, Marshall is, he's just not afraid, man. He'll say things on the record that a lot of coaches wouldn't say, but he basically called out the haters who want to bring down Wichita State uh, level when he thinks a lot of those uh, denigrators are fans of teams uh, in big conferences and those teams aren't relevant. And if it wasn't for a geographical placement and a conference being created 50, 60, 70 years ago, then they wouldn't have any ground to stand on because their program isn't a major program. It's just a major conference. thought that was really interesting. He also gave me updates uh, on injuries. So Landry Shamit uh, is still probably going to play in the season opener against UMKC on the 10th. If not, they're going to need him against Charleston. That's their second game, I believe. That's 13th. Charleston's really good. I said Oakland, I think, is the best team from a single-bid league. I think Charleston's the second-best team. They're just behind Oakland. That's a really fascinating matchup, and Charleston is good enough to pick off Wichita State on the wrong night and might even do that because Marcus McDuffie, right. who is Wichita State's second-best player, in my opinion, he is going to be out until at least mid-December. Marshall said he's still in a cast. Does not have a timeline here. He said it's just hazy right now. It Honestly, like, he... Marshall did not specifically allude to this, but just the tone of the conversation, the way we were talking about McDuffie, if we did not see him until the first week of January, it would not surprise me. I think that is a possibility. So uh, this grand unveiling of Wichita State as a card-carrying member of the American Athletic Conference is going to just be a, not not the team at full strength just yet due to those injuries. I will uh, finish off with this, GP. Shamit, we have at number 21. On our top 101 players list, we have McDuffie at 20, at 88. Um, both are definitely top 100 players in my estimation. That list is now live. It is published since we started recording this podcast. Feel free at Gary Paris CBS at Matt Norlander. Let us know what you think about the list. Reed Forgrave and Kyle Boone, our colleagues, also helped compile it. Um, I gotta say, in some years, I, I I always accept the list for what it is, Parrish. But sometimes I'm like, damn, like, I can't believe we got this guy at 37 when I think he should be mid-20s because obviously I care way too much about this stuff. But this year, for the most part, I actually really do like the way that this list came together. Um, don't have too many gripes, and again, it is our list. But if you do, obviously we do want to hear them. And as always, I, you know, I make this list. There are, I'm always trying to squeeze 20 guys into the final 10 spots. So there's only, you know, there's only so much we can do there. But uh, I thought it was pretty interesting. My lingering thought, GP, let me count this out right now. So we have one, two, three, four. We have four players from Oregon on the list mm. but versus where I rank them in the rankings. I mean, if that ends up being true, if, there are, if, if four Oregon Ducks really are among the top 100 players in college basketball, then Oregon's going to be a top 25 team. We don't have them as that right now. But we'll see if all those pieces really fit together and how that works overall. But, uh, yeah, did you have any thoughts to close out with regarding our top 101? None whatsoever. Okay. I don't care. That's good. I, it does, as you were explaining where Shaman is and McDuffie is, it seems like that's kind of a big gap between those two players. It is, but, yeah. I mean, it is, but I do I do think that Shaman is, is definitely the best player. So, I mean. Yeah. I, I agree. I agree. And uh, yeah, so go check that list out. Uh, Norlander wants to hear what you think about it. I don't really want to hear what you think so about you it. So you want to tweet at Gary Parish CBS because he definitely wants to hear about it. Many tweets, many tweets. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry MF and Teagle. And remember, you can subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via iTunes. So please do that and rate it uh, favorably. 
And Ooh, we are also on Google Play. So, GP, hold on. I hate to interrupt you like this, but we have had a lot of people ask about Google Play. We are on Google Play. I'm going to send GP a link. So he's going to put the Google Play link in the podcast description on the site or on the app. Much. And when we tweet out this podcast later, you might have already seen this if you're listening now, we'll tweet the Google Play link because I think that's more popular than I think we realized. So we got that now too. See, I have a problem. I have a problem with I assume everybody does things the exact same way I do them. So like like the when people say I tweet an iTunes link and they're like, do you have a Google Play link? I'm like, just listen to it on iTunes, idiot. Like, what's so hard about listening to it on iTunes? And yet, that does seem to be difficult for some people. Yeah, you don't really want to alienate our listeners by calling people that prefer Google products to Apple products idiots. I'm just, I'm just telling that. I just, listen, I, I was, I was um, putting blame on myself. I, I have a blind spot for things like this. I don't understand. It's just like honey mustard. Like, I, I love honey mustard so much. Uh, I, I don't understand why somebody wouldn't like honey mustard. Like, that makes no sense to me. I can't even wrap my head around it and same thing with itunes just use itunes dummy but like whatever we we got the google play thing now so congratulations one more week of once a week and then once the season starts by the way we're going to three times a week so that's a little psa for the listeners out there PSA and, and it will the be the return of the seat geek read oh i can't wait for the seat geek read all right buddy hey Go uh, rate the uh, podcast favorably and write nice things about us, or at least me. I don't really care if you write nice things about Norlander, but I would like to read nice things about me. So please do that, and uh, we will talk to you uh, next week. Till then. Bye.